welcome to the Big Fundamental Spurs podcast, a Cans 5 podcast on your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball. I'm Jackson. I'm Cameron. And Cameron, last time we spoke, we both had our fingers kind of hovering over that big red button, whether or not to panic. The Spurs were 0-3. Well, guess what happened since then? Two-game winning streak to finish out the preseason. They went from looking pretty rough, like not good, like aggressively not good, and then they turned around these last two preseason games and looked just fine. They look like a very solid NBA team. Yeah, so let's quickly talk about those. They got the win over the Rockets, 128-114, to without DeMar DeRozan on the court. And that was a big night for LaMarcus Aldridge, especially a big night for DeJounte Murray there. Um, they led after 14 in the first quarter, and they shot particularly well, shooting 57%. Anything notable stand out to you that game? I mean, anytime you shoot 57%, you put yourself in a position to win, especially games, the first three preseason games. They, they had two where they were right, they were struggling to get to 40%. So to go from 40% to about 60%, that's a big jump, and, and those differences will will determine a lot of games, obviously. Uh, but, you know, you talk about little things more than that. Uh, it, you know, everything looks better when the ball is going in the basket, and things, the coach will tell you the, ball, the game doesn't look good when the ball isn't going in the basket. But in terms of just rotation-wise, the fact that they can get buckets without DeMar DeRozan, I think he's a, a little bit of a crutch sometimes for this offense. Uh, and I like the fact that uh, Marcus Aldridge is able to, to sort of lead the team without him. What I'm looking for a lot more this season is, is staggering those guys. That's something that I think a lot of teams are starting to pick up on and starting to do a lot more is staggering their best players. It's something that a lot of teams are realizing is a really good thing to do around the NBA. And I, I think it helps the Spurs in particular because of the overlap in where Aldridge and DeRozan like to score the basketball from. Yeah, exactly. They kind of uh, have a very similar game involving that mid-range there. So if you can get them kind of on the court at separate times leading the offense that way, that's a, that's a good thing for the Spurs. And then uh, we saw in their final preseason game over the Grizzlies, they win that one 104-91. They had the whole roster for that team uh, for that game there and ended up actually shooting 45% from three, which was a big concern that we had coming into these last two games. They shot particularly poorly from three-point land in the first three preseason games. So it's nice to see them kind of turn the corner there, especially DeMar DeRozan, who went three for three behind the line. Uh, if he's shooting the three-pointers that well the rest of the season, that's a good thing for the Spurs. I wouldn't count on it. I'm not going <laughs> to count on DeMar DeRozan being a knockdown shooter. I'm not going to count on uh, Bryn Forbes being a Steph Curry-level efficient, which he was through uh, most of the preseason. The stat was, in terms of uh, true shooting or something like that, uh, Bryn Forbes and Steph Curry were two of the top five guys. They were comparable. It was just that Steph had a few more looks uh, for the Warriors than Bryn was getting for the Spurs. So never count on it because that's not what this team is built around. This team is always going to be built around defense first. This team is going to be built around guys who can score from the mid-range. But this was a team last season that was terrible at shooting the three ball. They didn't take many and they didn't make many. Their best shooters gone in Davis Bertans. You need other guys to step up. If DeMar DeRozan can start hitting those, that really changes not just uh, his outlook for the, the rest of his season and the rest of his career, but for this team this season especially. Yeah, I think uh, something notable from those last two preseason games, too, that we haven't addressed yet is they took Jakob Pertl out of the starting five there. They instead put Trey Lyles at the four, shifted LaMarcus to the five. I think that might hurt their defense um, in the front court specifically, but what that does in terms of opening up the court uh, on offense, I think, adds a lot of value there. 
I don't know if Trey Lyles is starting the season at the four uh, when we go into the first game here. Uh, he did not play particularly well in the preseason, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that rotation. Do you think these last two games are more indicative of what we'll see, or do you think uh, you know this is just kind of uh, them figuring things out still? I, I think the league's going small. I think this is going to be a situation where San Antonio is going to, in a lot of ways, need to do uh, put together lineups that match what the other team is doing. For as good as LaMarcus Aldridge is, if another team is playing basically four guards, and, and you know some of these guys who are now who've been in the league for a little while, they were a two or a three, and now they're more a three of a three slash four kind of guy. You look at some of the teams in the early part of the season, with the, with one exception, we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, power forward is just not a position that teams have much of anymore. You're going to see a lot more teams putting guys out there at the quote-unquote four that are really just a, a three and then maybe playing one big center. I think a perfect example of that is what the Portland Trailblazers are going to try to mm-hmm. do. Uh, I don't think they'll have Zach Collins and Hassan Whiteside playing together very much. You'll probably see Rodney Hood playing the four. Uh, a guy like, uh, I think, Kent Bazemore is now a four in this NBA. So Rudy Gay, Damari Carroll will see a lot more minutes at the, the quote-unquote four uh, especially in crunch time. Yeah, I agree. I think going small is something that the Spurs are going to have to rely on here going forward uh, as we transition into the regular season. Uh, and another person they're going to rely on going forward is DeJounte Murray, and they made that clear with the contract extension. He signs a four-year, $64 million deal this week. That is a very Spurs-friendly deal. That clears up a lot of space as he moves into his prime. The salary cap, We'll see how it goes. Usually it only gets bigger as, as you go transition here. So that gives uh, the Spurs a lot of leeway, a lot of room to play and build around a roster as he kind of transitions into a prime player. I don't want to make this, I, I want to be clear. I want to put a little caveat before I make this comparison. But in a lot of ways, this reminds me of what the Warriors did with Steph Curry a little yeah. while ago. I'm not saying DeJounte Murray is going to be a two-time MVP with, uh, with a unanimous MVP award. I don't want to put that kind of pressure on anybody because that's crazy. It has only happened once yeah. in the NBA. But uh, what the Warriors were able to do around that, where they had a, a cornerstone player locked up on a team-friendly deal because he was coming off at a major injury. I mean, that's the thing. is You're taking a little bit of a risk, and there, there are downsides to paying a guy with an injury history. Just ask the Washington Wizards, oh, yeah. uh, ask a couple other teams. Uh, it can really put you behind a little bit, but with this deal the way it works out for the Spurs four years 64 million guaranteed so it's 16 million a year uh incentives can get it up closer to the 70 75 maybe 80 he'd throw in some some new balance money he signed a sneaker deal as well on uh, on Monday so he's happy and taken care of because his salary jumps from 2.3 million this year to about 16 million next year so he's happy he's taken care of uh but if he continues to produce at the level that we know he's capable of and I think Spurs fans thought he was going to be able to get to this uh, this past season before he lost it due to injury is a fantastic deal for the Spurs. Yeah, let's not forget, before he was injured, he was the youngest player ever to make an all-defensive team. Uh, second, all, second team all-defense uh, in his second year in the league. That's a great stepping stone into what could be a top 15 player here in the future. And if you look around the league at these other people who signed their rookie year extension, these other contracts, this one plays out particularly well for the Spurs. You're looking at Domitus Sabonis for the Indiana Pacers getting $77 million. Jalen Brown agreeing to a $115 million deal with the Celtics. And then, of course, uh, Pascal Siakam for the Toronto Raptors, four years, $130 million. This is a very friendly, team-friendly contract here. Yeah, another guard who I think also compares is a very similar comparison to uh, Murray in terms of where his role is on the team is Buddy Heald for the yeah. Kings. Four years, $86 million. And he was kind of starting to almost threaten a little bit, like, hey, I really need this done. Uh, you know, do this or, or trade me almost was the uh, was the vibe in Sacramento. So, uh, 
Pascal Siakam is a dude. He is a really good. He's a really good player. He was a key piece on a team that just won a championship. And he's going to be their foundational player as they transition out of the Kawhi Leonard phase they had for a year there. So, the but from a monetary standpoint, they're paying him twice as much. So you know, the question almost becomes: Would you rather have two Dejounte Murray's running around or one Pascal Siakam? Again, there's the reason these guys are making so much money is because they're very unique players and they're they're aren't two DeJounte Murrays out there, and there certainly aren't two Pascal Siakams in the NBA right now. But uh, the important thing to remember is these, these are extensions that kick in after this season. So these, these players are still on the rookie scale deal uh, for this year, but then starting next season, uh, Murray's getting paid half of what Pascal Siakam's getting paid. Yeah, another Spurs contract news. Another guy who was eligible for one of these rookie year contract extensions was Jakob Pertl. He doesn't get a deal done before the season. That means he has a chance of being a restricted free agent in the next offseason, that's a guy the Spurs could lose. Um, and I think he was someone that maybe Spurs fans, maybe the Spurs organization thought played a large role in the future of this team. He was an, an integral piece in that Kawhi Leonard trade. Uh, interesting to see what they do with him in the future. I wonder if this is a sign of maybe the Spurs going small, committing to win now, um, knowing that they're only going to have to play LaMarcus Aldridge at the five, and maybe they like some of their other fives who could be cheaper better. Yeah, I think that could be part of a trend around the NBA where – Unless you're an elite center, you know, Clint Capella, maybe Steven Adams in that kind of conversation, Uh, you you try to get by with a a four who can turn into a five, in Aldridge's case, a guy who's a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, and then then you maybe try to find a a, a deal, a a guy on a a second contract or or, or a first contract guy, like a Chemezie Metu, a young guy who uh, has a lot of upside, and you try to just replicate that kind of production because it just... It just doesn't make sense right now to be paying, uh, you know, right now Jakob Pertl is not a top-tier center. It doesn't make sense to commit to one of those guys long-term with the direction the NBA is moving. And it, we don't know exactly how the negotiations were between Pertl's side and the Spurs. It's possible there was an offer on the table that his camp just didn't like. And that happens sometimes where a guy says, no, I want to bet on myself and I'm going to have a great season. And then you're going to either have to pay me or I'm going to go get that money somewhere else. So, uh, you know, for this season right now, you want to just see Jakob Hurdle continue to improve as a as a, a rim protector or rim runner. Obviously, he's not the focal point of an offense. He, he's limited defensively when he has to switch out on the perimeter. But there's things he can bring to a team, and he has to show that for the Spurs uh, to, to get his next payday, whether that's going to be in San Antonio or elsewhere. Yeah, let's see if he plays this season hungry with that next deal in mind. Uh, now, another player with that next deal in mind is DeMar DeRozan. Um, report came out today from The Athletic that the Spurs and DeRozan seem to be quite a ways apart on an extension. I don't know how that's going to play out. I think the Spurs are going to just play it safe here. They're not ones to jump on signing a player to a max-level deal in the midst of the season while he's still under contract. So. Right, and he, and he has an option for next season. So he could become a free agent this uh, this upcoming offseason. LaMarcus Aldridge in a similar situation as well, where he's not fully guaranteed for next season. So we've mentioned it before. Uh, this is more of an offseason topic of conversation because at this point now we're talking about who were the guys this season we're talking about this season but uh this time next year it could be a very different look for the spurs it could affect how the spurs approach this season if they get off to a slow start if they get off to a hot start what assets do they have in terms of trying to uh, shake the team up a little bit do they try to bolster the rotation go all in or do they maybe look to the future well let's take a look at this season because it starts today we're recording this on a tuesday the spurs season starts wednesday they're playing the first game here in san antonio against the new york knicks 
what kind of team are we seeing come here in New York? I mean, they're a team that's in transition. They're a weird team. Uh, they have a, a top three pick in R.J. Barrett. Uh, he's the future of that team. They have some young guards who they, they like well enough. Uh, and then the other thing you think about with that team is they have a lot of big guys. A yeah, lot. they're putting the big in big apples. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, joking that you know they're, the power forward is kind of an extinct position around the NBA because the Knicks have all of them. The Knicks have all of the power forwards in the NBA. Corner the market. They, their roster is a R.J. Barrett, a handful of guards who other teams aren't super high on. They may be bought low or uh, you know have been trying to get rid of but couldn't. And then everybody else is a power forward. Yeah, and one of those guys is Marcus Morris, who I may play the small forward role for them. Uh, that's how they have him listed on the depth chart. That'll be a fun uh, fun reunion. I guess a fun, uh, not homecoming. I'm it's sorry. the opposite of that. Yeah, exactly. It is the opposite <laughs> of that. He's the, he's the enemy team on, on homecoming. Obviously, uh, Marcus Morris was going to be a spur verbally. Uh, this summer was going to be a spur. The, the the silver and black had to move some things around, including Davis Bertans uh, was was shipped out in order to make room. They restructured some contracts that included giving an extra year to Damari Carroll in order to take some salary off the front end of his deal. And then at sort of the last minute, Morris decided, no, you know what, I'd rather take a little bit more money on a shorter deal and go to New York and play for the Knicks. And uh, there, his side caught a lot of flack for that. I think really around the league, People sort of said, hey, they did the Spurs dirty, and now San Antonio has a, has a chance. They play the Knicks, obviously, on opening night, and then again pretty soon thereafter. Both games against New York are done before uh, December 1st. Yeah, the Spurs might be bringing the nasty here tonight against, uh, tomorrow night against Marcus Morris. I mean, even Coach Pop, who is not one to speak out about things like this, called this an unfortunate situation, and he was very, uh, I guess, distraught that a deal couldn't be completed there. An unfortunate situation. Pop calling something an unfortunate situation is the closest thing you're going to get to him cussing out an opposing (laughs) player. (laughs) Yeah, so let's take a look here. I mean, we saw the Spurs kind of roll out a different uh, lineup these last two preseason games. Who do you think's getting the starting five positions here. I mean, obviously, we, we would assume that Murray, DeRozan, and Aldridge are locks in that role, in that lineup. Who else is filling out that lineup? I, I love the way Bruin Forbes performed in the preseason. Yeah. He, he showed that he is such a key part of this team, especially on the offensive side, as a dangerous three-point shooter. And that's something the team sorely needs in the starting lineup around Murray, Aldridge, and DeRozan, which is your core right now. I think in terms of that, that fifth starting spot, you're looking at a big... Uh, Trey Lyles, probably not necessarily ready for that kind of level. Uh, Rudy Gay is a good piece, but I'd like him really well coming off the bench. Damari Carroll, a little undersized in terms of playing the four, especially in a starting lineup. I really think that other spot is going to be something that gets gets played around with a little bit over the course, especially early in the season and against a big team like this. I think you you go with two bigs, Jakob Pertl and LaMarcus Aldridge, recognizing that Pertl might just kind of be in there to win the jump ball, play a couple possessions, and then and then sub out for, for some quicker and fresher legs. But that, that could be a really effective way of, of platooning guys for the Spurs against teams that uh, start big. And the Knicks are an exception in that they do have a lot of power forwards. I, I totally agree with you. I think in a team like New York, um, in, I think interior defense and I think rebounding are two keys we've identified here for this game. Uh, they've got Mitchell Robinson at the center. He could be a tough guy for someone like Aldridge to guard. Uh, you're going to need someone like Pirtle who can who can body up and play that interior defense and kind of keep things locked in. And I love the second unit then coming in with Gay, with Derek White, with these guys kind of bringing the energy and playing with that kind of 
that's those spurts of energy they're kind of kind of bolstering the second unit there when uh, New York gets a little weaker on the depth um, you, you're talking about a lot of guys in that backcourt once you get behind Dennis Smith jr. and RJ Barrett the talent level drops off you know you got Kevin Knox is one of their backcourt guys who's a shooter there but yeah there's not a lot of talent there on that roster so having a second unit who can run them out of the building is a pretty strong and it should be a really fun atmosphere at the AT&T Center not only opening day but you have the fact that you have all that animosity between the Spurs and Marcus Morris should make for a great home court advantage it's kind of a you never want to say game one is a must win, but if the Spurs come out and fall flat against the Knicks on the road or at home, you know, this is a Knicks team that comes to San Antonio. They don't traditionally do well in San Antonio. It, you, you start to worry a little bit. You start to say, hey, these are some of the things that were bothering us in the preseason. And, and Jackson, you and I have talked about it before. This schedule is so tough in the second half of the season. You start with that rodeo road trip and then all the way through to April. You need to pile up wins where you can get them. And this is uh, one of those the Spurs really think they should have. Yeah, and of course, yeah, you mentioned the atmosphere there too. If you can't make it to the game, of course, you can watch it on Ken's 5. That's tomorrow, Wednesday uh, at 7 p.m. Our coverage starts there. Uh, we're going to take a look ahead at the upcoming games here after this one here. We've got a few more games this week. But first, let's pause real quick for a break. Well, Cameron, as we just talked, you know, the San Antonio Spurs are kicking off a new season Wednesday night. That's games on Ken's 5. Silver and Black will face the Knicks, the AT&T Center. Our coverage begins at 7 p.m. And new this year, you can watch the game and any Spurs games we air on Ken's 5 on the Ken's 5 app. If you don't have the Ken's 5 app, well, guess what? It's free. You can download the new Ken's 5 app and don't miss the action beginning tomorrow night at 7 p.m. So let's take a look at some other games we've got coming up this week. Uh, the Wizards are in town on Saturday. That's another game where you look at it and you say, just on paper, the Spurs are the more talented team. They're playing at home, and it should be a 2-0 start. And if it isn't, there's a little bit of panic again. Yeah, I mean, they do have an all-star in Bradley Beal who can cause some trouble, um, but that's a team who's missing its second-best player in John Wall and a team that, you know, is in transition, too. They're trying to figure out what they can do with limited cap space. That, I'll tell you what, that roster's brutal. Outside yeah. outside of Bradley Beal right now, uh, John Wall is presumably going to be out for the whole year. They do have Isaiah Thomas, who is a nice scoring guard, but limited defensively. He's out, I believe, and, and not expected to play for Saturday. Davis Bertans, it's a nice homecoming for him. That should be a nice story. A reunion, yeah. Uh, beyond that, man, you're looking at a team that's probably going to be starting Ish Smith at point guard. And that's, you know, Ish Smith is a really good NBA player. He's made a nice career for himself. He's, is he, he a starting point guard, he, though? No. no. Ish? No. <laughs> I see what you did there. They're looking at CJ Miles as the starting three. Again, oh, nothing, yeah. nothing against CJ Miles. Not, shouldn't be starting in the NBA. Uh, Jan Mahimi is, uh, they're paying him too much money to play center. He's hurt right now anyway. Uh, they could be starting Thomas Bryant out there at center. These are just guys who, on paper, the Spurs should have matchup advantages at just about every position save for Bradley Beal, who also he signed an extension recently. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the Spurs' backcourt being challenged by Bradley Beal. This is a backcourt, when you talk about Murray, when you talk about Derek White, these are two guys who are known for being stellar backcourt defenders. I want to see them lock down Bradley Beal. I want to see the Wizards have to turn to other options, and that will be how the Spurs win that game, I believe. Um, but yeah, they are kind of outmatching the Wizards here, uh, and so this is going to be a very interesting game. I think the first, yeah, kind of hurdle for this backcourt to just try to jump over. And of course, that game is on Ken's 5 as well, this Saturday. And then, you know, starting next week, we've got the Blazers. Uh, that's a team without Yusuf Nurkic. They're starting Hassan Whiteside at the center. That'll be pretty interesting to see. Another really good test for the for the backcourt defenders. Uh, you talk about a, a superstar in Damian Lillard, another very good 
uh, compliment to him and C.J. McCollum. So, yeah, DeJounte Murray against Damian Lillard. That is marquee stuff. Uh, I think at times last season, opposing guards saw the Spurs on the schedule and got a little bit excited. You know, if you're a Damian Lillard, a Kyrie Irving, a Russell Westbrook, James Harden-type player, guys who can go out and, and get buckets in a hurry, the Spurs last season without DeJounte Murray didn't have as much ability to stop those guys. Now, it's not so easy. And the, the, the problem with a point guard getting going against your team in terms of starting to put, uh, you know, put buckets together is it really changes the way you have to defend. It's a little bit different if the offense that you're facing has to do something to get the ball to the guy who is your main scorer because you can you know work on denying him the ball a little bit if that's the guy who takes the ball up and initiates the offense you can't stop him from having the ball and already you have to do all kinds of things to get the ball out of his hands and that really changes the way you play defense so the fact that the spurs theoretically won't have to worry about that now that you stick Dejounte murray on that guy it opens up the rest of the defenders and the rest of the Spurs' defensive system to do what they want to do. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to see how this plays out because I think in our first three games here, we might see three different starting lineups just based on matchup-dependent roles here. This is a game where I think you slide Murray and Derek White out there, maybe slide Aldridge to the five to battle up against either Hosan Whiteside or Zach Collins, as we mentioned. These guys are going to be playing the five. Uh, You're going to need both those backcourt guards in there to stop... Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Both of them are capable of generating offense, uh, and both of them have a deadly three-point shot. Uh, it'll be very interesting to, see, interesting to see how Popovich can tweak the lineups here and there. And that's the first playoff potential team that are going to test the Spurs here. Uh, this is a Spurs team that, you know, is getting a lot of flack. Maybe they're not going to make the playoffs this year. A lot of people are doubting them. Um, and if they can come out in this test and prove, hey, we can play against teams like that, that might change the narrative around this team. Yeah, the Spurs are known over the past you know, decade, two decades, they're really good against sub-500 teams. They struggled at times last year, but last year, in a lot of ways, was just not very uh, Spurs-like. They, they was a, a very unusual season for San Antonio. But now with uh, you know the, the start to the season for the Spurs, it, it, it's, it works out nicely, and I think there's opportunities uh, to get some of those wins, but I, I am really looking forward to that Portland game. Ends a, a three-game homestand the first week of the season, uh, all home games, and a chance, I think, if the Spurs start 3-0, and again, the first week of the season, people pay attention to opening night, and then you know maybe a couple games here or there. There's The Spurs do have a big Halloween night game uh, against Kawhi Leonard and yeah. the Clippers. That's a road game. It's a 9.30 p.m. tip-off uh, Central Time, but it will also be on Ken's 5. Th- that, that's, that's when it starts to get a little interesting, but I think beyond Halloween, I think people turn their attention back to the NFL, turn their attention back to college football, and check back in maybe Thanksgiving, check back in Christmas. But the Spurs need to be winning during that time, and I think that, that fits the Spurs really well because the eyes maybe won't be off on them so much, and suddenly you could look up 20 games in the season, hey, the Spurs are right now the four seed, and people can act all surprised. I think that's really a a best-case scenario and certainly a possible one. I agree. I mean, I think next week when we start talking about these games and recapping them, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Spurs 3-0. I mean, there's going to be a little bit of that hurdle in Portland, and that's a potential playoff team. But those are the kind of challenges you need to to rise up against, especially at home on a home home stand here. Uh, And now let's take a look at the big picture here for the Spurs team. We've talked a little bit about, you know, people might be down on the Spurs. The The second half of the schedule gets tough here. How do you think this team's going to fi- finish as the regular season gets started here? Are we looking at another playoff appearance? I mean, they've got a 22 straight seasons in the playoffs. That's the longest winning streak, active playoff streak in sports 
period, general. Um, would you be surprised if we're talking next year about, oh, the streak ended? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I don't think it will happen, but I would not be surprised. Just from a talent standpoint, the West is so good, and there are so many teams that are right on kind of a razor's edge right now, and the Spurs are, are in that mix of being a team where if things don't go right, they're, they're out of the playoffs. There really isn't a huge margin for error. The Spurs really do need to take care of business in the games they, they should win uh, because what you're looking at, as, as people have been previewing the Western Conference, you look at the eight teams that made the, the playoffs last season, you figure the Lakers are going to be in this year. So, so that they're going to bump somebody out. Yeah. Uh, and then there are a couple other teams. Sacramento was right on the cusp last year. There are a handful of other teams that are right in that mix that uh, last season were out of the playoffs. So you start thinking who are going to be the teams that fall out of the playoffs. Oklahoma City is a, is a popular pick to fall out of the playoffs. And then it's kind of between San Antonio and maybe Golden State. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, Dallas is right in that mix now. New Orleans sort of was in that mix before they lost Zion Williamson for six to eight weeks. And now with this latest news, Clay Thompson probably not going to play at all this season. Not a good sign for the Warriors. You never like to root for injuries to really affect a player. But for the Spurs right now, that's great news. That two guys who were going to be key parts of teams that were going to be right in that same mix as the Spurs are going to miss significant time either to start the season or throughout the season. I think it's good for the Spurs. With that being said, I, 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 I do think the Spurs make the playoffs as a 7 or 8 seed. Then you run into somebody really tough in the first round. And, and you could have a, a whole discussion as to, uh, because most teams don't want to be in that spot. Most teams don't want to be a 7 or 8 seed. You'd rather fall out the last few games, especially with the new uh, lottery rules, to try to get into that lottery. Just get into that mix. Get a couple ping pong balls and see what happens. That could really change your franchise for the long term. The Spurs are not in that situation right now. They really want to get that uh, playoff appearance, number 23. It would mean a lot for this city. It would mean a lot for this franchise. And then you go from there. Yeah, I think, I mean, we talked a little bit about injuries there. They've got a lot of injuries that, yeah, are going to play in their favor. Um, not only we talked to Clay Thompson, it sounds like he's going to miss the whole year. Zion Williamson's already missing six to eight weeks. Who knows how that progresses here. And then you've got Paul George, who's going to miss the first 10 games of the season for the Clippers. That Clippers team, I guess are going to run out Kawhi Leonard and Paul George maybe 65 games a year trying to save them for that postseason as both of them kind of are overcoming injuries and a history of injuries on those two teams and then yeah even Anthony Davis is a guy where there's already injury concerns surrounding him he already had an MRI in the preseason it did come back you know clear but he's a guy who who ends up in these situations where it feels like He's day-to-day, or he's battling through some, playing through some injuries here. Um, that will play in the Spurs' favor, but man, it's a stacked West. You're talking about, outside of the L.A. teams, we're assuming they're going to be two of the top four teams. In terms of talent, they clearly are two of the top four teams in the West. Then you've got Denver, who won, who were the second seed last year. Yeah, they won 53, 54 games yeah, at least. Utah is better. Houston has Russell Westbrook now to pair along James Harden, so that's a team that's going to be dangerous. I mean, do the Blazers fall out? Do the Warriors fall out? That's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I, I do think the Spurs will be better defensively this year. The Spurs take care of those games they're supposed to win, and the Spurs win at home. So those are things that play in their favor. I would imagine, yeah, they're going to be a 6-7-8 seed coming down to the wire here battling uh, some teams for those lower seed spots. Yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of that prediction. I, I, you look at this West, and yeah, it's, it's tough. I, teams that missed out last year, 
Sacramento was really good and then they kind of faded down the stretch. They're a year older, a year more experienced, and they're definitely hungry after that uh, experience last season. Dallas gets back Chris Stapps Porzingis. They have year two of Luka Doncic. Don't have much around those two guys, but <laughs> with those two guys, man, that's that's a whole bunch of wins right there. They're a, they're a very popular pick to rise up here in the West, but I just, I mean, you look at that roster, their third best guy is Seth Curry. Tim Hardaway Jr. Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, they're a deeper team. But the Spurs are a deeper team than them. And their Spurs' two best players might be better than the Mavericks' two best players. It all just ways to see. I mean, they've got Rick Carlisle, who's a great coach. He'll figure some things out there. Um, but I like the Spurs' chances against the Mavericks in terms of battling for that last seed there. And, and they'll play each other quite a bit. That's a okay. great rivalry, and uh, this year will be no exception. Uh, also love to see those games against the Rockets in, in the, the division. Russell Westbrook and James Harden, I think that they're going to be a good regular season team. I really think both of those guys are guys who've accomplished everything you could accomplish individually. MVP, triple-double, scoring, all that stuff. They want to win now. And I think they put the ball in Russell Westbrook's hand. Uh, he plays with a great array of shooters. You have the pick-and-roll possibilities with Capella, and you space the floor. That's that's terrifying what you could do with a Westbrook and Harden. That Talking about staggering those minutes, basically one of those two guys should be on the floor all 48 minutes, and uh, the Spurs, their bench can put up points, but you give up a little bit of defense with some of these Spurs bench rotations. Uh, also in that division, we talked about New Orleans a little bit. Even without Zion Williamson, they're a completely rebuilt team. Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, J.J. Redick is a is a winner. Yeah, he's uh, never missed the playoffs. <laughs> that's insane. That's insane. And then uh, Memphis, this probably isn't their year. Uh, they have two really good young guys in John Morant and Jaron Jackson, but... The, the, they also don't have the depth. Yeah, I mean, you talked a little bit about Houston. We'll get to some more predictions here later on, but they're my number one seed in this Western Conference. Harden and Westbrook together are going to be unstoppable. I mean, that's a team that's going to that has the ability to kind of play around these two separate ball handlers. It worked with Chris Paul, and I think Westbrook is a major step up from Chris Paul, especially in terms of creating his own shot, in terms of hustling and leading the break there. That's going to be very potent. Uh, But again, the West is stacked. (laughs) I could be talked into Houston as a one seed. Uh, Both Harden and Westbrook at times have gotten this reputation of being not as good in the playoffs. What that means is they're so good in the regular season. And some of the things that they've done in their respective past two or three regular seasons and dragging teams that haven't been as talented to very impressive records, you put those two guys together, those guys just don't want to lose. They're competitive dudes. And they're both going to be hungry. I mean, Harden's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. He feels like he was the MVP last year. Westbrook has always been looked at like, you know, the Oklahoma City thing was a failure. It comes down to him there as being the last guy. I think both those guys are going to be hungry. I'll I'll throw out one other team as a potential number one team in the West, and that's Utah. I think they have all the pieces. They have really, really good depth. Uh, They've been a team that's been there these last few years. Donovan Mitchell, I think, is poised to take another little leap. I think people were maybe expecting it a little bit more from him this past year. He has that Team USA experience this summer. He's in great shape. Rudy Gobert is a monster defensively. Mike Conley is a veteran who brings that presence and has the playoff experience, but also in terms of just a regular season uh, asset that will help take some of the pressure off Mitchell. And uh, the home court advantage in Utah is, is nasty. And if I remember, I think I heard this right. I, I might be off. They, Utah gets, in addition to their home court advantage, 13 of their home games are teams coming in on the second half of a back-to-back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> which is, you, you, throw, you add in the fact that it's at altitude, that's a huge advantage. Yeah. 
those are that that's that in and of itself is probably I'm not gonna say they're gonna win all 13 of those games but that's an extra marginal probably two or three wins and that could be the difference in a three seed versus a one seed this year there was a lot of pieces moving around that Western Conference and I think a lot of people have slept on the Mike Connolly move that guy is going to make a huge difference in Utah that's a ball handler they did not have to play alongside Devon, Donovan Mitchell who is probably better off as a two guy off the ball scorer not reliant on him starting the offense generating that offense and plus Connolly is a stalwart backcourt defender. Uh, so pair, pairing him and Rudy Gobert, that's a that's going to be a stellar defensive lineup there. I like the Utah pick as well. Yeah. Do you want to move into other predictions we have for the season? Mm-hmm. One other thing really quick. I, I, people say, well, what about uh, the Clippers? What about the Lakers? I, I do think those are more talented teams, and I wouldn't want to bet against them in a postseason series. But I think the injury concerns are a thing. Right now, the depth is a thing. I think those teams will be way better in March than they are right now when they, when they play the buyout market yeah. a little bit and when they have everybody healthy. Yeah, I could see both those L.A. teams falling in that seed three through five range. Uh, and then don't sleep on the Denver Nuggets as well. How, a, how fun would it be if that was a 4-5 uh, <laughs> uh, series? Just the a, Battle for L.A. The, 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 uh, the Staples Center hallway series. Oh my gosh. All seven games right there just going back and forth. That, that, that would be amazing. Alright, pencil it in. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> That's my wild prediction, number one. <laughs> we'll have a few more. Alright, let's, let's take a look here at the Eastern Conference. We talked a little bit about the Western Conference. Who, who do you think the best team in the East is right now? It's got to be Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, they were that team last year. They haven't gotten any worse. They've played together an extra year now. I actually sneaky like the addition of Robin Lopez on Mm. that team. Uh, He brings some toughness. He brings that veteran leadership. He's a great locker room guy. And, uh, yeah, that's just, that's a really good team, man. Robin Lopez is also undefeated against NBA mascots. Oh, yeah. So you oh, got to yeah. watch out for that. That's valuable. I, I, I love this Philadelphia 76ers team. I think they're just one year better. All those guys like Simmons and Embiid, just one year better. They are losing some, some big pieces when you talk about J.J. Redick. Jimmy we, Butler. Jimmy Butler is going to be a huge loss. I, I love Josh Richardson, though. I love what he brings to the defensive level there. And, I mean, we're seeing Ben Simmons shoot some three-pointers. If he just shoots a couple a week, keep the defenses honest, that's going to open some things up there. I, I do like that 76ers team. Yeah, I, I have some questions and concerns about pairing Al Horford and uh, Joel Embiid. We talked so much about how this is getting uh, turning into a smaller league. Uh, platooning them in the regular season could be great. In the postseason, you have to try to find a way to play them together. I don't know how well it will fit. I think I think it could be great, but I also think it has the potential to backfire on them a little bit. So you like Milwaukee. Does that mean you think Giannis is taking home another MVP? I do. I do. I think he's also a contender for Defensive Player of the Year. I, I think he's a, an example of a guy who does so much on the offensive end that it sort of blinds you to what he does on the defensive side of the floor. There was one season... I think it's ridiculous LeBron doesn't have a DPOI at this point in his career. And there was one season, I think it was maybe 2011 or 2012, where LeBron actually was in the media saying something to the effect of, why, why am I not getting considered for this? Because there's this there's this perception with that Defensive Player of the Year award that it needs to go to a guy who is better on defense than he is on offense. No, it's the best defensive player. And what Giannis has the capability to do on the defensive end, especially since right now we're still not seeing him with a three-point shot. It's the only thing he's missing in his game. I think he continues to improve on the defensive end. And uh, yeah, some of the attention maybe moves away from Rudy Gobert. Draymond Green will be trying to anchor that, uh, that Warriors team. The, the MVP race is really interesting, though. Don't sleep on Nikola Jokic. You're really high on Denver. Don't sleep on him. He is, he is the uh, the linchpin of what they do. I like Jokic a lot, and if Denver finishes as one of those two seeds in the West, coming out of what's going to be a brutal Western Conference, I do like him, especially if he can kind of ignite some of the guard play. Uh, he's a guy who 
I mean, we've seen Russell Westbrook average a triple-double here recently. It'd be crazy to see a big man like Jokic average a triple-double. It's certainly possible. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, we've been talking a little bit about the L.A. teams. If the Lakers finish in the top of the West... Anthony Davis has to be the MVP. I think it's going to be a lot of play on him. Uh, I think LeBron will kind of take a step back as he kind of gets another year older and kind of let Davis take that spotlight. You kind of want him to kind of enjoy the L.A. time and want to stick around and be the guy in L.A. Uh, So I think they're going to kind of push towards that. Um, I don't think that happens. I don't think the Lakers finish in the top two. But if it does, that increases his uh, his MVP chances there. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to I don't know that LeBron is actually ready to give up the reins just yet. He's had this longest rest of his career in terms of an offseason. He's in great shape. I think there's a chance that LeBron is out there really trying to, you know, maybe not gun for numbers necessarily, but he'll, he'll be performing in a way that I think will take votes away from Anthony Davis. And I yeah. think we'll see the same thing with Westbrook and Harden. Uh, Curry is now free to do his thing. I think he's, he's an MVP contender. Whether the Warriors have enough firepower now without any Clay Thompson possibly this year, uh, and really not too much depth beyond Green, uh, D'Angelo Russell, and Steph Curry, we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, the last time Curry played without Kevin Durant, he shot more than four, he he made more than four hundred three pointers. Uh, if he does that again, that means the things are clicking there in Golden State, and they're uh, pushing for the playoffs, and that could be good for his MVP chances. Uh, who do you like as rookie of the year? I mean, the clear front runner has to be Zion, but if he's already missing injury uh, time due to injury, does that kind of hurt his chances? I think it has to. Yeah. You would think, let's let's be, you know, let's say just six weeks is what he misses. The, the estimates have been six to eight weeks. I don't think the Pelicans start that well if they don't have their best player for the first month and a half, two months of the season. And if they run into a little bit of struggles at times, what we've seen from teams now is once they're sort of out of the picture, you start doing some load management. And I think, especially with Zion Williamson and everything he represents and uh, some of the risks inherent with Uh, his body right now I think if they are several games out of the playoff picture come mid-March you start seeing him move towards getting shut down for the season so I think it's possible he only plays 55 50 games and I don't see how you could give the rookie of the year to a guy who who only plays that much regardless of what he he could average a triple double and I think there's going to be a a case against giving him the uh, rookie of the year if he doesn't play enough games. So I think the next guy up, obviously, is John Morant, uh, and then R.J. Barrett's the number three pick. I think last season, the all-rookie first team was just the first five picks, and it, it, it's, a little, it's a little concerning. This, of course, comes a couple of years after Malcolm Brogdon, a second-round pick, won Rookie of the Year. So there's there's a pendulum that swings back and forth on uh, on those kinds of things, but there, there's a reason those guys are, are top picks, and I, I would turn to R.J. or Ja as the next guy up. Yeah, I agree. If it's not Zion, it's probably going to be one of those top five guys. I like Darius Garland. I think the Cavs are a team that's going to have to score a lot of points to stand to some games here. Uh, the Eastern Conference is a little bit more of a cakewalk than the Western Conference, so you're going to see guys like Garland and R.J. Barrett to kind of put up some points uh, and, and you know stuff some stats here. Uh, I, I think he's got a lot of talent. We didn't see a lot of him in college, um, but uh, he's a guy who could be a sleeper for that Rookie of the Year conversation there. Uh, there's a lot of uh, There probably will be a lot of push in the media for R.J. Barrett being the New York Nick guy. You give it to him. You build some uh, anticipation, some uh, you build some energy in the Big Apple for a guy that, like that. That team needs it, too. That franchise really needs some buzz. <laughs> they do. So now, a little bit around, we talked a little bit about guys who could be surprises for these these awards. Are there surprise teams out there that you think could, could make a jump or fall out? Yeah, I think you, you start in the Eastern Conference where you know what to expect from the top two teams in Milwaukee and Philly. That next tier is very much uh, up in the air. There's there's Boston, there's Toronto, a handful of other teams that are ha- have been there but maybe taken a step 
step back. Miami is going to be interesting with Jimmy Butler. I think the Nets are going to not be as good as people were expecting. They are still paying Kevin Durant a max salary to not play this season. That hurts. Yeah, They're paying uh, DeAndre Jordan a lot of money. He's not worth that money. He, it, I'd love to see him prove a lot of people wrong. I just think that what we've seen from him recently is that he's not that uh, worthy of that. So what happens beyond that, the, the depth suffers. And you really see a team lean on Kyrie Irving for a lot. And he's proven over the course of his career he's a great player. But without another superstar next to him, sometimes his teams sort of suffer. And there's a lot of questions about what he does to a locker room right now. Yeah, in the East, I mean, I do think that the Heat could have that potential to be a top-four seed. Uh, I think a lot of people are forgetting about the Boston Celtics. Um, and I think there's potential there to rise into that top three in the East kind of kind of potential there. You talk about they get rid of Kyrie Irving, who's a little bit of a distraction there. Um, that's a little bit of weight off their shoulders. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are a year older. And then Kimball Walker is a guy who has... He's kind of been in that like very good position, never in an elite point guard. He could make that leap here with the kind of the most talented team he's been on. Another Team USA guy who got the benefit of playing with Coach Popovich for the summer. And I'll, I'll throw one more team out there. Uh, the Chicago Bulls have been bad for a really long time. They have an awful lot of young talent on that team. And at a certain point, it's, it's going to click, right? It has to. It has to, right? At some point in time, you'd think so. I, I love Zach Levine's game. He's entertaining to watch. Uh, they have a lot of other guys who I think complement him pretty well. And, uh, again, that, that Eastern Conference, man, you play enough games against the Clevelands and, uh, you know, the Washingtons and Atlanta's still probably a year away. You play enough games against those teams, you're going to rack up some wins. Yeah, and now in the Western Conference, we, I mean, we've talked about someone in the playoffs there has to fall out. It wouldn't shock me to see the Portland Trailblazers be that team. Uh, that's a team that's kind of uh, riding Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, uh, this backcourt superstar tandem, um, and I think they're a better backcourt tandems now in the Western Conference with them. And then again, they're going to start Hassan Whiteside in some meaningful games here. And if I was a Portland Trailblazers fan, that would terrify me. Uh, I mean, you're, you're just hoping Yusuf Nurkic comes back in time to kind of push you into the, the top eight there in the West. And yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see if they, they don't make the cut. Yeah, I think as people have been talking about this, it's Portland, Golden State, uh, Oklahoma City, and San Antonio are the teams that people are thinking aren't going to... Uh, repeat as playoff teams golden state is a, is a contender there honestly i think they would be my pick there uh, especially without clay thompson i wouldn't even be surprised if oklahoma city makes a run i, I know the expectations a lot lower for them they're certainly not favored to be in the playoffs it wouldn't surprise me if they put some things together they have a lot of talent danilo gallinari is a real x factor for that team uh, especially around a guy like chris paul and uh yeah i i, I just don't know how much uh energy there is around the Golden State Warriors to try to make a, a, a playoff push. If, if they're right on the cusp in late February and they're getting try, you know, trying to get up for a game that might end up determining their season, they don't know it yet. They've just, they've just been in the spotlight for so long. There's just been so many miles on those guys and really beyond uh, their, their main guys in, in Steph and Draymond and also D'Angelo Russell, there's, just, there's not a lot of depth there. So I have a big fun take for you about the Oklahoma City Thunder. And if they are making the playoffs, I believe it's because Stephen Adams becomes an all-star. Okay. You look at a guy who sacrificed a lot of rebounding when Russell Westbrook was there, let Westbrook take some of those rebounds. I wouldn't be surprised if he suddenly is getting 15 rebounds a game, 16 rebounds a game. Plus, I mean, he's going to be relied on as that big man scorer, cleaning up the glass, putting it back up. He's a great defensive player. I could see him making that jump next to Chris Paul, next to Daniello Gallinari as an all-star. 
All right, these are getting pretty wild. I think, I think Jackson, before we start getting even more big and more fun, we need to get into what's driving us batty. And, and I'd like to go first on this one. Uh, alternate courts are driving me batty. There are some fun ones. I, there's been a rumor that the Raptors are bringing back their original uh, court that has the dino footprints across the middle to, to go with their throwback jerseys. I know the uh, Memphis Grizzlies have already unveiled a throwback court to go with their throwback jerseys. But some teams are just going a little bit over the top in what they're trying to do. I'm not even talking about the Brooklyn Nets. I hate their gray court. That's their main court, by the way. That's not an alternate. You're going to see that all season long. Uh, the Magic, the Orlando Magic, are going to have at least two, possibly three alternate courts. And they're, and they're sort of minor tricks. Oh, they changed the color of the paint from blue to black. And they changed the midcourt logo to say magic with the logo as opposed to just the logo. It's just little things, but it's inconsistent. And it kind of drives me crazy. It's a cool trend. I actually like the idea of having an alternate court. It's I think the Milwaukee Bucks started the trend uh, much earlier this decade when they had a black court or a black trimmed court to go with their black jerseys when they wore those at home. I, I, I like the idea of almost every team having one. It's, it kind of drives me crazy that the Spurs don't have one because they could do some fun things with an alternate colored court. But for a team to have three or four different courts, I think the Warriors have one to go with both of their different throwback jerseys this year. It's too much. Speaking of throwback jerseys, uh, this is, I think, a good thing. But it's also kind of driving me crazy that it happened in the first place was the earned edition uniform, which is an, an alternate jersey that last year Nike introduced and the teams that made the playoffs the previous year got a fifth jersey. So each team has their four normal uniforms. There's three that are usually known at the start of the season. Then they unveiled the city edition sort of in November. And then the earned edition was something that came out in like December for the, uh, for the holiday season. They're, they're, go, they're scrapping that this year. No more of that, uh, oh, you've earned it by making the playoffs. 16 of the 30 teams make the playoffs. It's not really too much to earn it. Instead, they're going to... Uh, turn it into another marketing, merchandising opportunity. It's going to be sideline gear, special warm-ups or something that the teams will have, and we'll see more of that later on. But I, I, I actually do like that move. So uh, as someone who um, has had to lift a basketball court before, help take part of basketball court, uh, that thing is heavy. I do not envy the uh, equipment managers, the uh, janitorial staff maybe, whoever, whomever is in charge of changing over those courts. That's a lot of work. Um, I moved a court uh, in Seattle. It was the old Seattle Sonics court. I moved it from one storage facility to another, and it took about a day. It's not fun. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not what's driving me batty, though. What's driving me batty, though... Um, so, Cameron, this weekend, I was at a buddy walk. Um, the buddy walk here in San Antonio raises money to, for Down syndrome support, Down syndrome awareness. And at that buddy walk was the Spurs Coyote, uh, you know, out there taking pictures, people waving, smiling. Uh, Bruce Bowen was there, too. Um, but, yeah, the Spurs Coyote was there. And um, I get on Instagram an hour later, and the Spurs Coyote is also at uh, the UT Longhorns game. That's, a, that's quite the trip to make in an hour. It can be done, but it got me thinking, are there more than one Spurs mascots? Uh, start, cover your ears, kids. It's like, you know, Santa Claus is real. But yeah, yeah it, it kind of hurts me to know. Like, sometimes I might see the B team, Spurs Coyote. You know, what's, what's, what, are the, what are the rules here? What are the stipulations? Uh, if there are more than one Spurs Coyote, that kind of breaks my heart. But, you know, that's the uh, way it is. That's tough. That's you gotta, tough. Yeah, if you've got multiple appearances to make, I guess you need more than one Coyote. But. Well, I mean, and if you're going to have, otherwise you have to have one, size fit it's not one size fits all that's a, that's a, a one size for the costume and do they get the, the coyote mascots custom tailored for the people who I, wear I, them I, you have to right or oh at a certain gosh. point or the, or there's a range right okay this is the one for the guy who's six foot to six two versus one for somebody who's five ten to six foot or something like that you can't have a you know isaiah thomas wouldn't fit in tim duncan's spurs costume you know what i mean <laughs> 
All right. Uh, I'm going to have to do some deep diving on this, some digging into it. I might reach out to uh, the Spurs Cody over Twitter and just uh, figure out how many of them there are. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to enjoy the mental image of uh, five foot six Isaiah Thomas <laughs> running around in, uh, in Tim Duncan's old Spurs uniform or something like that. Oh, man. Well, Cameron, I'm so excited. The regular season is here. You can follow along with all of your Spurs content on Kins 5, the official station for the Spurs. And, of course, here on the Big Fun Podcast, wherever you may be listening to podcasts, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, SoundCloud. We are out there in the podcast multiverse. Any final thoughts here, Cameron, as the season gets underway? Man, let's get this party started. I'm with you. All right. We'll see you next time. Thank you.